Good evening, everybody. It's time to begin our service this evening. Tonight we'll have three songs, and then Dwight has our reading and prayer. One more song, and Chris has our lesson. Our first song tonight is on the overhead only. Uh, it's How Great Is Our God. If you would, let's stand for this song, please. I was going fast as I could to beat you before you said, <laughs> How Great Is Our God. The splendor of a king Clothed in majesty Let all the earth rejoice All the earth rejoice He wraps himself in light And darkness rides behind It trembles at his delay Evan is that what's going on okay hit it a little faster then <laughs> our next song is number 400 living by faith 400 I think the router needs reset and I don't want to do that in the middle of service so we're going to have to live with it <laughs> I care not today what the morrow may bring, if shadow or sunshine or rain. The Lord of the world is for everything, and all of my worry is vain. Living by faith in Jesus above, trusting and fighting in his great love. Baby. 
deep the Father's love. After this, Dwight will have our reading and prayer.
Spirit of God, we pray. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful for this opportunity tonight to worship you in praise and song and in, in word, your preached word, Lord. We, we ask you to be with us tonight, and we think of those that cannot be here, those that have illnesses or other, other things going on. Lord, we ask you to be with them and bless them, Lord, and help them to return with us in worship. God, we, we are thankful for the many, many things you have done in our lives. We know that we, we would not be anything without you. There, there's many hardships that we have come through. And we know, Lord, you've been with us through everything. And we give you the praise and the glory tonight. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The scripture tonight for Chris's lesson is taken from 1 John chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. 1 John 4, 16 and 17. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. Our song of invitation this evening is number 761, Where He Leads I'll Follow. Now if you would, let's stand again. We'll sing number 213, He Gave Me a Song. 213. He took my burdens all away up the bright
Good evening. Good to see each one of you back with us this evening. We're in John, our first John chapter four this evening. First John chapter four. So if you grab your Bibles, go ahead and be turning uh, to that passage. We're gonna be jumping around a little bit tonight, but that's where we're gonna start off. We are uh, in a series we're calling Twisted Scriptures, and so we're, we're looking at uh, several passages that um, the world has taken and has kind of taken and ran with, and they've misapplied and misconstrued uh, these these various scriptures. And so we're trying to set the record straight, I guess, in some respects. Throughout this series, uh, by looking at some of these passages uh, and trying to put them in least in their context and uh, to kind of look at the verses surrounding these these passages so that we can read the Bible correctly. That's that's kind of uh, the, the goal uh, for us in Christianity is we want to divide the word rightly. Um, so tonight we're looking in 1 John chapter 4 verse 16. First John chapter 4 Verse 16 says, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. So we're using this text to talk about the concept really pretty prevalent in our world today where people are going to espouse this idea um, that I can believe and do whatever I would like to do. And since God is love, he will not condemn me. Um, Certainly a loving God would never react like that, right? Certainly a loving God would never condemn someone to hell for an eternity because of their view on this, or because they did this. Well, well is that true, uh, biblically speaking? Uh, is that right? Is that, a, is that a foundation that you can stand on? I don't, don't think it is. I think, I think the Bible would, would uh, clear that, uh, that kind of thinking out. Um, and so we're going to look at several passages tonight. We walk through this, this line of reasoning um, that says, well, I can live however I want to live, and because... Uh, I, I worship, and because I serve uh, a loving God, I, I can do whatever I want. I can believe whatever I'd like to believe, um, worship however I'd like to worship, live in a moral life. I, I can do these things because I serve a loving God, and that's just not what Scripture teaches us. So this is the passage we're kind of kind of jumping off from tonight, First John 4. 16, 17, but you could use this a variety of passages. John 3, 16, among them. We're going to talk about that uh, as, as we get on to our lesson as well. So it's not just this one passage. I think it's this concept uh, that we really want to dive in tonight. Since God is love, does that mean that he will not condemn? That, that's really what we're trying to get after tonight. Since he's love, can I do whatever I want to do and him not condemn me? Of course the Bible would, would teach against that, that concept. So that's kind of what we're, we're going after tonight. Uh, John 15 lends a lot of, sheds a lot of light on this concept, though, because we need to know what it means to abide. John talked about that in, in his first letter, didn't he, that we just read in John, uh, 1 John chapter 4. 
talked about abiding in me, and I'm going to abide in God. And, and so what's it mean to abide? That's, that's really the, the first question that we need to ask tonight, is what does it mean to abide? And so John 15 will help us define what this word means. In verse 7 he says, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. There, there's that word again. He's talking about abiding. And in fact, if you follow this passage into its previous verses, uh, and starting in verse 1, he talks about this, this vine analogy. He's the vine, and, and, and we're the branches, and how, how we all live and work together, right? That's, that's John 15. Um, and so he's going to follow this train of thought, what it means to abide, what it means to live with him. And so what's that, what's that really mean? Well, verse 10 uh, defines what it would mean to abide in God. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. He makes it pretty clear there, right? So what do I have to do to abide in God, to abide in Christ? What do I have to do? I have to obey. I've got to obey. There's no abiding without obedience, right? I can't live with him. I can't live inside of him. He can't live inside of me without my obedience. That's, that's what he says in John 15, 7 through 10. That's what he says throughout Scripture. And so this concept that I can live and I can believe and I can do whatever I would like to do, and since he's a loving God, then I'm going to be forgiven for those things, that I'm going to be um, scapegoated for those things. That's, that's not a biblical concept. Um, and so we're looking at Bible, right? That's, that's what we want to do with this series is we want to untwist some of these scriptures. We want to look at them rightly because this is the most important thing. Mike talked this morning in his uh, Lord's Supper thoughts about keeping the main thing the main thing. Uh, this is the main thing, Right? dividing scripture right, reading it correctly. That's the, main, that's the main thing. And Christianity, that's what we're after. And so how are we going to do that? Well, context, context, context. That's right. That's what we've been coming back to throughout this series. But for this, for this thought, really all of scripture points at this, this single concept. If I'm going to live with him and he's going to live in me, if I'm going to live with him for eternity and he's going to live in me right now, I've got to obey Obedience is necessary. This is this concept, at least, has been the thing that's been on his mind since day one. He's always wanted everyone to come to repentance. That, that's what has been his heart since day one, right? And, and you find it, at least in this one place, here in 2 Peter 3 9, that we're, we're talking about tonight, but it, it's, it's painted throughout Scripture, right? Um, there's a reason why uh, God didn't, uh, destroy the earth very quickly the first time with Noah. He was waiting for people to come to repentance. Um, and he's still waiting. That's why he hasn't come again. He's waiting for one more to come to repentance. And so that's his heart. He wants everyone to come to repentance. But if you don't, if you refuse, condemnation's waiting. But that's not a, necess a necessary thing for you. you don't, it doesn't have to be like that. If we obey, if we submit to him, we can and will be saved. 
was the famous passage, right? Every, everyone, uh, even those who ha- didn't grow up in the church, never set foot in a church building, uh, often they'll know this verse, John three sixteen, right? Uh, For God so loved the world that he gave his son, only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. This is another one where people can come back to this verse and say, well, he's a loving God. How in the world could a loving God condemn someone forever? Well, he is loving, right? That's an attribute. We saw that in 1 John 4. This is a um, solid attribute of him. It's one of the things that makes him deity. Without love, he's not God, right? If he doesn't have love, he's not God. But there's more to him being deity. There's more characteristics that are necessary for him being deity than simply love. Justice is one of those other attributes, isn't it? Um, And so sin has to be punished. And in him, in God, we find this perfect unity of love and justice. Sin has to be punished. And so at the beginning of time, he figured out a way to punish sin and to have a pure people that he could be in relationship with here and that he can have relationship with forever in eternity. You know the solution. He punished Jesus so that he can have relationship with us. It was the only way to make it happen. It was the only way to get this this dream of his to come to fruition, to have unity, to have uh, fellowship with us. Sin had to be punished. So he sent Jesus to take the punishment that was due us so that he could have relationship with us. So will a loving God condemn people? Yes. In fact, we stand condemned if we're the ones who have refused to submit. It's, it's our fault. Because he's certainly gone out of his way to make repentance, to make salvation possible. And so if we refuse to submit, if we refuse to listen, it's only our fault. Um, and so the, the idea that a loving God would never dream of, it would be ridiculous for a loving God to condemn people to an eternity in hell. It's just not Bible, is it? We think of examples like uh, Uzzah in the Old Testament. Um, you remember his story, of course. He, he's the guy that, among others, that are walking with David. They have restored and they've re- they found the Ark of the Covenant, right? It's lost back in 1 Samuel chapter 4. The Israelites are at war with the Philistines, and um, the Israelites and the Philistines charge down the mountain, and in the valley they meet, and the Israelites get crushed. They lose 4,000 soldiers. And so they go back up on top of the mountain, and they regroup. And what happened? Well, we didn't have the Ark of the Covenant. And so they go back to uh, the city, and they get the Ark of the Covenant, and they bring it with them, and they follow the Ark of the Covenant right into the Philistine meat grinder. And they lose something like 30,000 soldiers. Um, the Philistines leave victorious, and they leave with the Ark of the Covenant. Twenty years have passed now. The Ark of the Covenant's been in, the, in Philistine territory for 20 years, and just kind of been jostling around until eventually it makes its way because God has caused so much havoc among the Philistines for having the Ark of the Covenant 
um, they've given it back to Israel. They, they did a little tour. The Ark of the Covenant did a little tour around the Philistine cities. And whenever it entered a city, uh, the Philistine God would topple over like it does in Ashdod with Dagon falling over and his hands and his head uh, are knocked off. And then when they come in in the morning, boils and plagues will come upon the people. Uh, and so the Philistines say, enough of this. This is worse than the Israelite battle. And so they set the Ark of the Covenant right inside Israelite territory and they tuck tail and run back home. And so Israelites come and get in and they set in a storehouse and it stays there for 20 years. Eventually, David becomes king. And David says, you know what we need? We need the Ark of the Covenant because that's where God's presence lives. Right in between the cherubim, his presence lives there. That's what he said. Uh, and so David says, well, let's go get it. And so they do. They go get it. And he's put a lot of thought into this thing. Like, David's put a lot of thought into how to transport the Ark of the Covenant from this storehouse a couple miles over to where he wants to put it in Jerusalem. It's not a far trip, but he's put a lot of thought into how he wants to get it from A to B. And so what he does is he goes and he gets a brand new ox cart. Nobody's ever used this thing. So he puts the Ark of the Covenant on the ox cart, and he and several other people start leading this ox cart to Jerusalem. And they're having this big party, and everybody's excited about the, the Ark of the Covenant coming back into Jerusalem. All of a sudden, one of the oxen stumbles on Onan's threshing floor, right? It's a cool story. So he's, the oxen stumbles, and the cart kind of shifts. And when the cart shifts, the Ark of the Covenant starts to fall. And you, our boy Uzzah, he reaches up his hand and he, he, he catches it. He stops it from falling. You would think God would be pleased with him, right? God strikes him dead. Just because you mean well does not mean you are saved. Does not mean you are righteous. Does not mean you are right with God. Uzzah's story, teach, Uzzah's story teaches us that. But this Bible is filled with stories like that. In fact, you go back to Leviticus chapter 10 you'll find two guys named Nadab and Abihu. They are Aaron's sons. He has four of them. These are the oldest two. They are uh, meeting in the tabernacle, worshiping God. They're the ones who, bring, who are bringing the sacrifices to God. We don't really know what happens here, but the Bible says that they bring strange fire. And so they either brought the wrong kind of fire or they put the fire in the wrong place. Something's amiss here. They, did, they understood what God wanted and they gave him something different. That's really what we're talking about tonight uh, with, with, with this lesson in 1 John 4. They understood what God wanted, and they gave them something different. And you know what happened? God struck them dead. He's not okay with disobedience. He never has been. Now, is he a loving God? 100%, right? 1 John 4, 16 is just as true today as the day John wrote it, right? John 3, 16 is just as true today as the day John wrote it. He is a loving God. and if, if, if he wasn't, he would not be God. But he's also just. He also uh, demands righteousness, demands obedience. And so this, this love and justice, they, they meet in perfect harmony in him. Not in us, but in him they meet in perfect harmony. He can, he can hold both of these thoughts, perfect love and perfect justice, in the same hand. And so we deal, this is the way we deal with God. Nadab and Abihu, I don't know if they, the Bible doesn't give us insight into what they were thinking, but I wonder if they had become a little flippant 
maybe, with their worship. Maybe they got a little prideful about their status and who they were, and they cut some corners maybe, and because of their disobedience, God struck them dead. When we know what he expects from us, we have to give it to him. And even if you don't know what he expects from you, it's incumbent upon us to find out what he would have us, what he have us to do, how he would have us to live, how he would have us to think and prioritize, and who he would want us to be. That's easily accessible in Scripture. We stand without excuse. Flip back over to 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel chapter 15. You're going to meet a guy here named Saul. You know him. He's king of Israel. He's been king now for a good long time. But he's been given a command by God. Go kill the Amalekites. Every single one of them. Don't leave any of them alive. I want, I want their sheep, all their cattle, everybody dead. The king down to the lowliest servant. You're to eradicate all of them. So Saul goes and he makes war against the Amalekites and he kills them. But he doesn't kill all of them. He kind of half-heartedly obeyed. Right? He knew what God expected from him, but he gave him something inferior. He gave him something less. And so when Samuel, God's prophet, when he makes it to the camp, Saul's kind of proud of himself. I've done what God has asked of me. I have been a good person. I have done the right thing here. And so Samuel comes up to him, and Saul, you're supposed to see him as kind of preening. He's proud of himself. And Samuel says... I hear sheep. Why do I hear sheep, Saul? And Saul says, well, the people. You know, you remember the story. He kind of lays it off on people, and, and it, it's, it's their fault that he's brought back the sacrifices. It's their fault that he's disobeyed God. He's supposed to be the leader. It's his responsibility to ensure that the people follow God. And he's fallen short. He knew what God expected, and he gave him something inferior. You know what God does? He takes the kingdom away from Saul. Samuel's walking away from him, and Saul grabs his coat, uh, and it rips in half. And Saul looks, Samuel looks back at him and says, Just like you've ripped my, my coat, God's ripped the kingdom away from you. It's not yours anymore. He's going to give it to somebody else. When we know what God wants and we give them something less, punishment is the, only, is the only answer. It's what's coming. And so to fall back on the concept that he's a loving God, he is. God be praised he is, right? It's incredible what he's done for us. Un unspeakable. When you stop and you think about him sacrificing himself so that he could have a relationship with me? That doesn't make any sense, you know? To, to go to that length, unfathomable. He is certainly a God of love, but he's just as much a God of justice, and sin has to be punished. There's no way around it. And so we can't fall back on this idea that he is love, and expect that to get us where we need to go. Expect that to save us. Matthew 25 is another passage we need to consider tonight before our time is up. 
Matthew chapter 25, this is another passage I know you're familiar with. Uh, he is uh, separating the saved from the unsaved, the saved from the lost. He's going to call them sheep and goats. And so one, the saved, go to his left hand. The lost, the goats, go to his right hand. And in verse 41 is where we really need to pick up. That's where he starts talking to the goats. And they're going to have some, some questions for him. They're going to kind of push back against his judgment a little bit, which is interesting for us because you, kind of, you get to see his reasoning. Why has he condemned them? We don't always get that insight into God's mind why he's done something. But in this occasion, he's done that for us. He's allowed us to see inside of his mind and he's allowed us to look into his reasoning. And this is why they're condemned. Verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. That's one thing that maybe we need to stop and point out right there. Hell was never prepared for you. It was never made for you. It wasn't made for me. It wasn't made for any of mankind. He, didn't, he never wanted any of us there. It wasn't made for, as punishment for you. It was made as punishment for Satan and his angels. But we will end up there if we're not willing to listen, if we're not willing to submit. And this idea of throwing ourselves on, uh, of, of justifying our, our, our lives because he's a loving God is dangerous at best and foolhardy at worst. Verse 42, for I was hungry and you gave me no food. This is his reasoning. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, then they also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? This is where they push back a little bit. So you're going to get to see his reasoning here. Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you didn't do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. How you live here matters. That's something our friends and our family members who are outside the church need to hear. And this, this verse, 1 John 4, 16, is a good place to start with them. Because they are hurtling towards eternity and they don't know what you know. That he's both a God of love, and that is so true. He's also a God of justice. And they need to understand this justice component. Because they're hurtling toward eternity, and they, they just don't know. We need to tell them. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 is another terrifying verse that you never want to be said of you. And certainly, maybe this is, is one of the most uncomfortable painful passages in scripture. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 8 and 9. Listen to where these people are. They're inflaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. You, you can't get away from God's presence here. It's not possible. He, 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 he still, in some senses, pursues us here, much like the prodigal son's father would, would, would run out to meet him. Um, and so the possibility for uh, justification, for sanctification, for coming back 
to Him. It's always open here, but there it's not. And His presence has been removed. He, he's taken His presence away from this place, from, from hell. Um, punishment is, is, is the only thing that's there. Um, and, and so that's one of the things that I think makes this the hardest, maybe, verse uh, for us to swallow he, really here that He's not going to be there and there's no hope and there's no... There's no, there's no light. There's no silver lining. There's no nothing there. It's just, it's just pain and punishment. Um, but here again, this is, these are verses that our friends need to hear. The ones who have, have thought, well, I can, I can kind of do whatever I'd like to do. I can, I can, as long as I live a good moral life, as long as I'm trying, then certainly he'll accept me, Right? Flip back over to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. There's going to be an awful lot of people on the day of judgment who tried to convince him that they did what was right. At least that's the way he pictures it here. That they were behind him, that they submitted to him. And they're going to be wrong. And then he's going to say, depart from me because I never knew you. And you didn't do the things that I told you to do. I can't rest until every one of my neighbors knows that fact. And that should burden every single one of us, that the people that I'm around, the people that you're around, they need to know that he's a God of love because without this component, we are all lost. But they also need to know that he's a God of justice because without that component, we're all lost. None of us fear him so as to come to him. None of us change our lives so as to line ourselves up with him. If he's not a God of justice, we wouldn't have to. And we're always going to hit the lowest common denominator, right? But he is a God of love and a God of justice. And so in perfect unity, these two traits work in him. And so we find ourselves obeying in every situation, giving our lives for him to do the things that he would have us to do. We have to be this kind of people. Tonight, if you've not been baptized and you're, st you're struggling, we want to study with you that this is the way to salvation. 1 Peter 3.21, Peter would say that baptism, which corresponds to this now, saves you. This is the moment in which you're saved. The sins are washed away and you're no longer held accountable for those things. What a wonderful moment, right? Best moment in your life, right there, when the sins are washed away. Maybe you've already made the decision this evening and you're struggling. We want to pray for you that you can be everything that God would have you to be. Why don't you come tonight as we stand and sing?
Good evening. We have a couple announcements to go with this morning for, or this evening before we dismiss. May 12th is the team lock-in. Doors lock at 10. The 13th is the post office stamp out hunger food drive. That's this Saturday. We'll meet in this back parking lot at 9.30. May 14th is the deadline for camp registration. And May 20th is the hometown love program at the fairgrounds. We're having a booth set up for that. And May 21st, senior reception. May 27th, the youth group, we're having a devotional in a cave at Carter Cave State Park. Bus leaves at noon. Uh, life group number one, it's Rick and Chad's group, will have their May meeting on May 21st following morning services in the old auditorium. On the uh, prayer list, remember Jimmy Wilgus, Doug Deeds, uh, Angie King, Terry Leap, Jamie Estes, Jim Haney, Amber Spitzer, and Sean Maynard, this is Gail's son, is at the Cleveland Clinic uh, this week. Anyone have any other announcements? If you've not had the opportunity to partake of the Lord's Supper, it remains spread in the conference room to my left, to your right. You may do so as we have our closing song and our closing prayer. Our last song this evening is number 888. 888, thank you, Lord. Let's all pray at this time. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you. Father, we thank you so much for your love. And, and Father, for the love we've sung about tonight and we've heard about uh, with the lesson with Brother Chris and Sai's so, and songs. Father, we do ask your forgiveness uh, for failing to meet those commands many times, and we ask that you'll bless us to do better. Father, help us that we can continue to abide in your love because we know how deep, how, as we sang, how deep is your love that you gave us your son to die for our sins. And Father, we're thankful that you've given us that song that we can sing. And, and Father, for the faith that we had because of your word and the blessings that we've learned and can learn through it and how to live and how to be obedient, Father, to you. Help us, Father, to be more obedient. Help us to be 
there for you and you as you've been there for us so that we can abide with you someday in eternity, Father. Father, we just thank you for this congregation, for every member, for every person that works and every person that encourages and every person that comes and, and, and Father, helps each one of us to, to be uplifted. We thank you for each one, those this morning, those this afternoon, those around us in the tri-state, and Father, we realize there are many around us in this world that believe and, and understand the same things, Father. Just help us all in, in the way that we live. Help us to do your will. But Father, also we do pray for several of those we, we mentioned over and over, Father. We just pray it shall be with those who were mentioned just, me, just a few minutes ago. Bless them and the things that they need to, to strengthen them and to help them, Father, uh, overcome sickness and, and other things, Father, that may be facing in their lives. Father, we also do pray for several that aren't able to be with us, haven't been for some time, that you will continue to bless them. And Father, be with the Wilguses, that you'll continue to be with Jim and Margaret and Jimmy, and we're thankful that he was able to be here this morning. Father, from Peg and Roger Pryor, and ask your blessings on them, and Charlie and Alice Boso, and we could go on and on, Father, the different ones that have not been here for a while, not able to be here, just that you will strengthen each one, Father, and help them. Father, we are thankful for those who've graduated and those will, who will graduate. And, and Father, those who are brothers, our brothers and sisters in Christ, young or old, we just pray that they will continue to have that strong faith that they have now, that that will continue with them throughout their lives, that there will be never, never a change. And Father, help us to never change. Help us to never turn, turn from you, turn our backs on you, or, and go a different way, Father, than the way we know. Father, just bless us through this week. Help us to be a light, as we've learned about. Help us to, to help others understand the commandments that you've given. And forgive us when we sin. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat>